This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit, in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest, and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Lott and Sami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. Welcome to America's Roundtable. This week on America's Roundtable, we're honored to be joined by Kimberly Yee, State Treasurer of Arizona, the state's Chief Banking and Investment Officer. Treasurer Yee oversees the cash management of Arizona's $53 billion state budget and payments to agencies, local governments, and schools. Born and raised in Arizona, Treasurer Kimberly Yee is the first Asian American elected to a statewide office in Arizona's history. Kimberly Yee served as Senate Majority Leader and became the second woman elected to this position in Arizona's history following U.S. Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who served the position in 1973. And on behalf of our engaged listeners on America's Roundtable, we wish you a good morning and welcome Treasurer Kimberly Yee to America's Roundtable. Welcome, Treasurer Yee. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back. Uh, Treasurer Yee, under your leadership, Arizona and the Arizona Treasurer's Office was the first state to divest state funds from Ben & Jerry's, which was involved in the BDS campaign, boycott, divest, and sanction Israel. And several U.S. states followed Arizona by invoking anti-BDS laws and divested hundreds of millions of dollars in state pension funds from Unilever, a parent company of Ben & Jerry's. Only recently, under financial pressure and lawsuits, Unilever finally denounced anti-Semitism and BDS. Treasurer Yee, could you kindly provide us with the latest on Ben & Jerry's? Yes. Well, it was about a year ago uh, this month that we received information, as uh, all of you all did, regarding Ben & Jerry's announcement that they would not renew their license with their Israeli manufacturer and distributor that had been producing Ben & Jerry's ice cream for more than three decades in uh, Samaria and Judea. And they said it was because it was inconsistent with their values to do business in Israel. Now, that caused an immediate red flag to us because um, we immediately notified Unilever, their parent company, that they had you know, two courses of action. And we would take this very seriously with our anti-BDS law that had been passed in Arizona. It indicated that any company like this that boycotts Israel, we would not be able to do financial business with them. And so we immediately notified Unilever, said you should change your course of action and or remove your relationship with Ben & Jerry's. And so they chose not to. So we immediately divested $143 million of Arizona funds down to zero uh, in September of last fall. And many states followed, as you noted, uh, New Jersey followed, Texas, Florida, New York, 
in the hundreds of millions of dollars that I believe Unilever really did have to take a step back. And so we did receive good news, as you mentioned, uh, just a couple of weeks ago that Unilever decided to go back into uh, selling ice cream uh, in that West Bank area and sold their subsidiary of Ben & Jerry's to an Israeli uh, business. So that was excellent news on behalf of Unilever's announcement. I absolutely have continued concerns about the woke board of Ben and Jerry's um, because shortly thereafter they sued Unilever over this new agreement. Indeed, and in fact, uh, we commend you for your leadership a year ago when this surfaced and how you took action, which then actually encouraged other state leaders uh, to also follow suit. Treasurer Yi, the state of Arizona and the Jewish state of Israel are top trading partners. Yes. And there is some $677 million in annual trade between Arizona and Israel. And in fact, Arizona's Governor Doug Ducey visited Israel in May of 2022. And during his visit to Israel, he advanced the idea of a major desalination project for his state in meetings with top Israeli officials, which he mentioned uh, will secure water for Arizona for the next 100 years. And early next year, Israel is set to become the first country in the world to channel desalinated water into a natural lake, the Sea of Galilee. Yes. And Today, drip irrigation waters some 75% of Israel's crops, but only 5% of farms worldwide currently utilize this technology. And uh, they've done some amazing things in Israel, but also Arizona has been a top trading partner. Treasury Yi, beyond this vital area of shoring up water for Arizona, could you share with our listeners the ties between Israel and the state of Arizona? Absolutely. We've had a long-standing relationship between the state of Arizona and Israel, uh, longtime friends and allies. And as you know, the trade is significant. Um, Israel is the largest Middle East investor in the United States. And as of 2019, Israel um, investments in the United States were over $36.6 billion. This investment um, you know, accounts for 20,000 jobs across the United States. But not only this, the Israeli investments also support approximately $959 million in goods exported. So it is a strong relationship that we have not only in Arizona, but in this great country. And it is well-developed in Israel um, in terms of Arizona's place of business to bring new technologies, like you mentioned, and business models to uh, the market. We have a thriving innovation um, ecosystem and the economy, as well as very business-friendly, streamlined regulatory environments to make Arizona a great home uh, to Israel businesses wanting to make their mark here in the United States. And one of the things that our office in particular has done is its continued support of Israel, not just by the movement of divestment from these uh, BDS movements, but we also long uh, ago, it was actually when I was serving in the Arizona legislature, we passed a bill that would exempt the Arizona treasury from just United States based investments. The only exception that is made outside of U.S.-based companies is with Israel bonds. And that showed support for Israel so that we might be a long-time investor in Israel bonds. And so since 2013, we have secured investments to support Israel bonds. And under my administration, we have 
tripled that amount. And uh, again, the first purchase was for $5 million in 2013. And over time, we have purchased $30 million, with half of that $15 million coming under my watch as state treasurer and is, again, what we currently hold, but really showing additional support to them where we can. And one of the things I have shared with my colleagues across the country who are state treasurers is look at doing the same thing. While many of our uh, state laws across the country say U.S.-based companies, which should be the case, and I stand strongly with that policy, we can make exceptions by going back to the legislative um, process and making an exemption for Israel bond investments. That is truly commendable. And I know that the Israeli uh, companies and leaders there certainly appreciate that important bond that they have with the state of Arizona. And we certainly look forward to seeing how this will develop in the days to come uh, with uh, the strengthening of ties between the great state of Arizona and the Jewish state of Israel. Yes. And the United States is the greatest democratic republic in the world and is a friend of Israel. So we must continue to support them, not only just through um, our words, but certainly through our actions. And these are the ways we can show other states that you can look at your financial offices. And you mentioned earlier pension systems, state treasuries. We hold a lot of funds and we can make that mark in sharing with our um, conservative values that which we are responsible for in terms of our tax dollars. And when we see these types of companies going in the wrong direction, they no longer stand for American values. Beyond this, in the case of Ben and Jerry's, it was not only a boycott of Israel, it was anti-Semitic, it was discriminatory and wrong. So we had to take that stance. And by doing so, we showed other states can do the same. And I I do believe that it it created a national divestment movement that um, has not really seen its great depth because really this may come again with another company. And we have seen the lawsuit with Ben and Jerry's come. So we don't know what will come in the months um, forward. That is why I have shared, you know, with Unilever that it took them a while to make this decision, but this issue is not yet over considering uh, this is now in the courts. Right. I mean, it's commendable through your leadership. And also what uh, made this uh, bond investment successful, it's actually Arizona, which is the among the fastest growing states. And obviously with the budget that is growing, yes. uh, with its low taxes and favorable business environment, Arizona has been attracting businesses and entrepreneurs from other states for decades. And with its common sense approach to COVID pandemic and related regulations, Arizona has been attracting individuals and families from other states. Yes. According to the Census Bureau, state population and domestic migration estimates from July 1, 2020 to July 1, 2021, Arizona's population grew by almost 125,000 and has continued to grow since. Uh, Treasurer Yi, could you kindly share with us about those policies that made Arizona attractive to individuals from other states? Absolutely. Well, I can speak to it from various angles. First, we have a strong state here of those who create policies that are friendly to business growth and economic growth. And so we prepare that way so that businesses looking for that uh, low tax um, and business-friendly, low regulatory environment, they can come here um, with open arms. I know that from the perspective of being a member of the legislature in Arizona and passing bills 
that create this environment, this, this very friendly economic environment. And it's so important as voters to take a look at those who are adopting these very policies, who are creating these laws on the books, because it creates a pathway for which we have a future. And we've seen this right here in place in Arizona, where when we came into um, an environment that would have never have been anticipated under 2020 and 2021, Arizona was well prepared. And we not only had, um, I think, the third highest GDP going into 2020 in the country, we were able to have that resilience in our uh, economy and the cash flow. I was watching it every single day um, as the state treasurer, and we were strong throughout all of those months because we had built an infrastructure an economic environment here uh, that was able to continue to conduct business. So we have come out of these months um, in 2020, 2021, so much quicker, so much more resilient, so much stronger than many other states around the country because of that. And one of the things that, um, you know, as I first came in in 2019 as the new state treasurer three and a half years ago, we had $15.4 billion in assets under management in the treasury. And today we stand at over 30 billion. That is a 94% increase in just three and a half years. So that tells you that these uh, dollars are continuing to flow throughout our state from cities and towns to the state. And people are not only uh, continuing to open their businesses, but so many other states are bringing their businesses here. Um, What we found under the open policies that we had here, when many states were shut down for so many months and businesses were not able to conduct their normal business, many came to Arizona to work remotely because we were open. And they found this to be a wonderful state, not only which to work, but they ended up moving here and relocating their businesses um, in our great state of Arizona. On the subject and the topic of reforms and what you have done in the state of Arizona, on America's Roundtable Radio, we've been addressing the importance of innovative approaches in empowering citizens, and we've dedicated time to discuss education reform, for example, charter schools and literacy in America. We recently had Governor Phil Bryant in Mississippi sharing how they have gained accolades from groups around the country and beyond, including The Economist magazine, on their literacy program. And in the state of Arizona, you have embarked on an ambitious endeavor, empowering students with an understanding of budget and finance. And certainly it is vitally important for our citizens and also for our nation as a society. And we know that today our national debt is at $30 trillion and climbing. And financial literacy truly begins with our own citizens. Treasurer Yi, we have heard of your efforts to advance financial literacy through the school system in Arizona. And could you share with us details about the Financial Literacy Task Force and its impact in Arizona? Yes, it really is a passion of mine, uh, a longstanding uh, desire for us to do what we can to bring students up to speed on how they better manage their personal finances. And this came 
Over 15 years ago, I was a staff member for the former Arizona State Treasurer. And my responsibility was to go into schools to talk about the importance of financial literacy. And as I entered into some of our universities here in Arizona, uh, it was orientation. And I saw so many credit card companies lined up against you know, the back wall asking new students to come in and sign up for their first credit card. And it was sad to see that one student could go from one table to the next to, to the next to get two or three credit cards all in one day. And so my effort there was to talk about the importance of financial literacy. I asked the group of students who I was speaking with how many of them signed up for their first credit card today. And so many of those hands were raised. And then the second question I asked was, how many of you have ever had a financial education class in high school? And those hands were not raised. And I knew we had an issue to address. So as I went into the legislature, we immediately worked on bills that would create standards in our academic K through 12 system that allows for students to be able to understand education in finances, whether it is balancing their checkbook, to creating a budget, to understanding the consequences of not paying off their credit card every month. And so as state treasurer, I said, well, this is the perfect platform to bring to this um, elected position. And so I created the financial literacy task force immediately. It's made up of not only the K through 12 community, school teachers, um, military families, veterans, um, vulnerable families who work with those who are on low income, as well as our senior citizen community. And, And these are the groups that go into various parts of our state to educate these communities about the importance of financial education. And one of the things we created in 2019 was a bill that addresses our K through 12 students and allowing for teachers to have a semester of financial education in high school that purely teaches how important it is for personal financial management. I believe there is a significant connection between how we manage our money inside our homes to the greater economic fiscal health of the state. And if we're not teaching our young children early, then we have adults graduating from those systems and not understanding how to manage their money as adults. And that certainly um, is something we can address and have. Beyond that, we took a look at our uh, welfare system. And, and in Arizona, if you're on government subsidies, you have to have certain requirements to maintain that status. And so I worked with our Department of Economic Security to ensure that we have these financial literacy um, education courses for those families who are on government subsidies so that they can learn to be good with their money, uh, smart with their personal finances, so they don't have to get back on the government system again. And that's certainly a brilliant approach and seeing how reforms and educational initiatives are really making a difference in the state of Arizona. And we certainly encourage listeners in other states in the Midwest and the South to certainly share that with your legislators and those in government to look at what Arizona is doing and empowering young people and individual citizens on the importance of financial literacy. Treasurer Yi, when we talked to you in October 2021, we raised a concern about inflation, which was 5.4% at a time. The most recent figure for the annual inflation is 9.1% in June, which is a new four-decade high. However, the average price of gas jumped by 41% from a year ago, from $3.60 a gallon to $4.46 a gallon. 
And according to the AAA, Arizona with $4.87 a gallon of gas today is in the top bracket of national retail prices of gas. Uh, Treasurer Yi, the price of gas is on the minds of most of our listeners. Can you update us on your efforts to oppose Biden administration regulatory efforts against reliable energy, which are pushing the prices of gas and eroding America's energy independence? Yes, well, the inflation reports last week were the highest in 41 years. And just here in the greater Phoenix area, we have the highest inflation in the country at 12.3%. Uh, that is a problem not only for average families, but they are feeling it in so many different areas, um, no matter what their income is. And it, it has been a true concern, not only in my official capacity, because as I take a look at the Biden administration's regulatory efforts against energy, uh, it is concerning. And we work with many uh, financial institutions across America. And one thing we have learned early on in this Biden administration is that they are working behind the scenes with their climate czar, John Kerry. And he is meeting with these financial institutions and banks across the country to uh, propose to them to stop financing those lawful United States companies who work in oil and gas and coal. And they are trying to put forward their green policies and basically choosing winners and losers. And in this case, they are choosing the losers in the energy industry. And that is not only um, a concern on the fact that we appreciate the free enterprise system in America, because that's not uh, what they're doing. We want to protect these companies. And as state treasurer, I have been busy working with more than a dozen joint letters with other um, treasurers and financial leaders across the country in efforts to oppose these bad policies of the Biden administration, from nominees to regulatory positions that he has uh, attempted to propose regulations from several agencies, all of which are designed to fulfill this campaign pledge to stop using fossil fuels. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we have seen is there are a number of states pushing back. And if you take a look at the connection to know why we have inflation and high gas prices, it's because of this woke agenda by the Biden administration and the left to get rid of oil, gasoline, and coal. So the problem is when you make something scarce without a replacement or an alternative, then the price of what you are trying to make uh, scarce goes up in price. And the hypocrisy of asking other nations to produce oil while we're shutting down our own infrastructure here in America and financing our own energy companies is really something to behold. It's, it's unfortunate. And this is what the Green New Deal is about. It's the, the pain of inflation. Um, it, it will not go away if they continue to go down this path. And one of the big problems with the Biden administration is they really don't have people in the administration with any business experience. And what we have seen, again, from the study on um, to the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, it includes the economist Stephen Moore, as you know, found that 62% of Biden appointees dealing with economic policy, regulation, commerce, energy, and finance have no practical experience working in the private sector. So it's very important on who we elect, 
who they place in these key critical positions. But what we see in just average everyday Americans is these prices cannot be sustainable. And I just have a, a personal note here. You know, I'm a mom when I'm not the state treasurer um, during work hours. And I go shopping like any other mom. And so as I took my little boys out to the grocery store this weekend, and then we went and got gas, I said, just in a couple of words, that was expensive. And one of my boys said to me, well, mom, it's Joe. (laughs) (laughs) And it really showed me that this is a serious problem and everybody understands that this cannot go forward much longer and we have to do something about it. And even my little elementary age son understands this simple concept as well. Well, it's wonderful to hear how your son understands the importance of pricing and inflation and how it impacts our own family budget. And it also shows to all of us how Washington's decisions are impacting citizens across our nation. And we're looking at one crisis upon another crisis. And We also are talking about the national security crisis and humanitarian catastrophe taking place on America's southern border. And the state of Arizona spans more than 370 miles of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, The U.S. Customs and Border Protection is on pace to make more than 2 million arrests along the Mexico border during the fiscal year of 2022. And of course, we're all for legal migration when you apply and enter the country legally. Uh, Treasury Yi, what is the impact of illegal immigration in America and the great state of Arizona? Oh, it is significant. And as you know, Arizona is a border state, and we see all of this on a daily basis. It is getting out of hand, particularly with this Biden administration. From day one, they have opened up these borders. And we see this every day. It is a significant issue because of the daily numbers that we see. Um, As you know, this is not only a drug problem, it's a sex trafficking problem. Um, It is a safety problem to those who live right there on our border cities. And we know for sure that there is, this is a national security problem as well because they're coming through the southern border. That is something to be addressed. It is um, not only a safety crisis, it's a humanitarian crisis. And once the Biden administration came into power, they had this open border mentality. And we know here in Arizona that it's only worsened Um, the issue of illegal immigration in the United States from the perspective of somebody who was born and raised here in Arizona. This is a significant issue, um, not only to our average everyday American families who feel unsafe, but it is combined with those types of mayors and local governments who are also defunding our local law enforcement. And together, it is a dangerous situation to have. And it's an interesting thing because as I, you know, go around the state and I talk to um, everyday Americans, everyday Arizonans, one of the number one priority issues is always the economy. But in this cycle, it has been security. And these are people who are business owners who don't feel safe to open their doors. They come from just moms who are in a neighborhood who don't feel safe because their local police has been, their budgets have been slashed. Um, And again, I I look to budgets because of my job and I I take a look at where we are and where we stand from a budget perspective. Um, The Arizona legislature recently passed a fiscal year 23 budget 
And it did um, allocate a record $564 million to help secure our border with physical barriers, addressing you know, critical public safety and staffing shortages that we have, mobilizing the technology and public safety equipment. Um, we need to target criminal activity and we need to keep our citizens safe. And so we are doing what we can here in Arizona with our budget dollars, but we are not seeing the same at the federal level with federal dollars. Indeed, uh, Treasurer Yi, we truly appreciate your leadership and your continued efforts uh, in advancing reforms and uh, advancing freedom, economic liberty, strengthening the rule of law in Arizona and also the impact that it has nationwide. Thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Uh, state Treasurer Yi is uh, from the state of Arizona. Uh, she's the state's chief banking and investment officer Thank you very much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Treasurer Yi. Thank you so much for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's two FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations and 50 affiliate stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joe Ladensami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sodorch, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and the Jerusalem Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest hosts and presenters, the former governor of Mississippi, Phil Bryant, and the Honorable Morris McTeague, QSO. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, healthcare, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.